Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily Pucks podcast focused on the intersection of Washington, Silicon Valley, Hollywood, and relevant to today, Wall Street, and the players who run it all. I'm Teddy Schleifer, filling in again for Peter Hamby. It is Wednesday, March 23, and on today's show, we're talking with Puck's resident Wall Street guru, Bill Cohen, about what the street is doing on Russia. Some banks are operating for patriotism? Bill gives us the inside scoop on why corporations cutting off Russia might be more important than governments cutting off Russia. We'll hear all about that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting The Gentleman. The new series from Guy Ritchie stars Emmy nominee Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings. Eddie Horniman, played by Theo James, unexpectedly inherits his father's estate, only to discover it's part of a cannabis empire. And Britain's criminal underworld wants a piece of the operation, forcing Eddie to play the gangsters at their own game. Now available only on Netflix. We are here with the King of Wall Street, Bill Cohen. Hey, Bill. Hey, Teddy. Great to be with you. We are now entering week four of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And everyone on, on in your world and my world in Silicon Valley is, is thinking about the economic reverberations of this. I've been writing a lot recently about uh, Yuri Milner, who is sort of the Silicon Valley investor with the closest ties uh, closest disclosed ties, I should say, because I'm open to the idea that there's some massive scoop out there that's unknown. Closest disclosed ties to the Kremlin and his sort of tough situation that he's been in over the last couple of weeks. And you've been writing similarly about Wall Street's ties to Russia and what folks are doing and, and saying under their breath and maybe any of the dirty secrets of that world. Give me just a sense of where we are right now in terms of where Wall Street and frankly, just more broadly, corporate America is on, on Russia. Are there any remaining ties there or is this 100% isolated and, and excommunicated from the powers that be? Well, I think as usual, uh, Teddy, it gets down to money and how much money you're making there and how much money you can make there and how much you're giving up by taking the sleeves off your vest I think the Coke Coke Industries announced they're sticking around. Public opinion be damned. You know, I think it's probably I don't you know I don't want to minimize this, but it's probably easier to you know to close a bunch of Starbucks or even McDonald's than it is to shut down banking uh, relationships in Russia. I think our listeners will uh, realize that you know Wall Street came to the self-congratulatory part of cutting ties with Russia late after many other companies had done it. And I don't think that, you know, while they have said they're, you know, getting out or the message that they're trying to convey is, quote, that they're getting out, I think it's really more of a winding down slash suspending-ish operations. So, for instance, I mean, I think each firm is kind of different. 
you know, Citigroup had announced that they were closing or going to, wanting to sell their Russian operations maybe a year ago when Jane Frazier, the new CEO of Citigroup, announced her reorganization plan and pulling back part of Citigroup's far-flung empire. What the war has meant for Citigroup is essentially they basically can't sell that operation, certainly not now, maybe not anytime soon. And so maybe their question is, do we just liquidate what we have there, which I don't even know what that would mean, maybe just close it and you know see what happens later. Other uh, Wall Street firms like Morgan Stanley really hasn't had much of a presence in Russia for a while. So what they've been doing is they've donated, I think, like $2 million uh, to a you know Ukrainian refugee relief funds, as have the other banks. J.P. Morgan donated $5 million. Goldman Sachs finally donated $2 million with more to come. I think that the banks with the two biggest presence in Russia have been, you know, Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan. They've sort of made a big noise about leaving. But in fact, I think that's really not true. I think hmm. what's really happened is they're just sort of pretending to leave, acting like they're leaving, but more or less just winding down. Take, for instance, Goldman Sachs. They have about 80 people in their office in Moscow, which has been open, I think, since like 1998, 1999. So more than 20 years. Uh, they've worked on some of the biggest deals in Russia for Rosneft, Gazprom, They've worked on some big IPOs. So I think what they're doing now is they've moved about half of their employees to somewhere in the Middle East. Uh, I think mostly they have just Russian nationals there. And I think half of them have decided, okay, we'll get out of the country. Uh, The other half, you know, I'm told can't, quote unquote, leave because they're part of what Goldman Sachs calls the, you know, the federation. Hmm. Is Goldman speak for back office and legal compliance people, legal people, making sure that, you know, trades are executed properly, making sure that the bills are paid, that the lights are on. One thing's clear is there's no investment banking business in Russia right now. Nobody's underwriting debt or equity securities. Nobody's taking companies public. There's probably very little commercial banking. There are no loans being made. I mean, the ruble is worth a fraction of a penny. Interest rates are 20%. There's no business to sacrifice here, right? I mean, like, the world events matter more than, you know, it looks good to swear it off, but you're not really swearing anything off at this point. I mean, Goldman Sachs made $21 billion last year, $25 of which came from Russia. But, you know, having said that, they are still executing trades for their clients in Russia involving the names of non-sanctioned companies. Right, right. This was this was the Stephanie Rule thing that was she was covering the other day, which was, you know, that there's there's always an asterisk with these announcements, right? Of course. Yeah, you got to go to the fine print titty. I want to ask they're just taking a step back. There's two or three things there you said were super fascinating. One is, is this idea that Wall Street may not be as censorious toward Russia as the rest of corporate America. Am I reading that correctly in what you said, that there's elements of of corporate America that at least acted first and that Wall Street has sort of been slow in sort of rolling out their anti-Russian regime? Is is that true? And what does that mean? It's absolutely true. I mean, the ones that are staying aside, like Coke Industries, obviously, they're not leaving. So they're not announcing they're leaving. But 
a lot of companies, car companies, Starbucks, McDonald's, others were, I mean, well before. They were a week or two before Wall Street. Yeah, but a week a week or two matters, right? I mean, this is a, you know, like, I mean, to some extent, no one really acts until they, they look around the table and see that everyone else at the business roundtable has, you know, already, already done it and they have to. You know, I was asking Goldman Sachs, because I was thinking of writing something about all this, you know, why are all these other companies pulling out and announcing they're pulling out? But Wall Street, which, you know, if they actually did, in fact, pull out, you know, cutting off capital from a country that is capitalistic. I mean, the whole world is capitalistic now. So cutting capital off from capitalism, even in Russia, you know, that can have serious damage to the economy even faster than sanctions or cutting off SWIFT, which takes time. Saying you're not going to provide capital anymore, fortunately, that'll hurt the companies that provide goods and services on a daily basis to the Russian people. So as usual, it's not right. Putin that's going to be hurt, but the Russian people. But the theory you know, is maybe at some point the Russian people can somehow do something to stop this, which is obviously a very big thing to expect. But nevertheless, uh, so as I was thinking about writing this, and asking the people at Goldman, why aren't you doing this? Well, they, they, I mean, their position was, yeah, we're moving some people out, but we're not, we're not closing down. And then even before I was able to write it, they changed their direction and pulled out. The same thing with J.P. Morgan Chase. The other thing that you know I heard was that another reason they can't really leave completely, in addition to executing trades for non-sanctioned companies, is that these banks, some of these Wall Street banks are helping the U.S. government implement the mm. sanctions. Uh, they're helping the U.S. government track payments that are made in and out of the country. And they're helping the U.S. government monitor cybercrime. So there are patriots for staying. That's part of the ar- argument that they are patriots for staying. And, and uh, you know, I kind of get that. Uh, look, again, there's no no banking business or what we traditionally think of banking business to be done. The Russian markets are closed. The stock markets are closed. There is turmoil. It's totally turmoil. So there's, there's nothing to be done except maybe help some of their clients get out of their illiquid positions in some of these securities. Uh, there might be some other clients who are looking to buy at a discount. I mean, people have been talking about China moving in now to buy the stock and the securities of all sorts of Russian companies on the cheap. I mean, if you're China and, you know, you can buy Gazprom for 10 cents on the dollar or Rosneft for 10 cents on the dollar, maybe you start doing that. So I wouldn't be surprised if Goldman or J.P. Morgan Chase or some of these others were involved in that kind of activity. Bill, let's take a quick break. We'll be back in a second with a few more odds and ends. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting the new series, The Gentleman. Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings star in what the playlist calls an entertaining crime comedy filled with style, panache, and laughs. The Evening Standard raves, The Gentleman is peak Guy Ritchie, impossible not to love. Now available only on Netflix. back here on the powers that be with Bill Cohen. Bill, um, just taking a step back here, you know, you've been covering Wall Street for a long time. And I've been talking with some people sort of in Silicon Valley about the attitudes toward Russia over time, right? And, you know, Russia was 
one of the four stools of brick, right? Brazil, Russia, India, China. I feel like people might be wondering why was Goldman Sachs in Russia in 1999, as, as you mentioned. Can you just give folks uh, the long sweep of history here of, of why at this point there might be a, a cynic who would say, well, why were we, wasn't this obvious that this was going to end up this way? Can you like give me a, a portrait of the optimism from Wall Street toward Russia in 1999 and what, how people, I guess, when you were either in banking or recently out of banking, were talking about the beauties of Moscow and St. Petersburg differently? First, Teddy, I mean, why do scorpions sting? That's what they do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what, why are wa- Wall Street firms in Russia? Because they think they can make money, even if it's a little bit of money. You know, even if it's $25 million. There was a Russian financial crisis that Goldman uh, had a role in solving, and Bob Rubin, uh, when he was at Treasury, had a, had a role in solving. Of course, Bob Rubin was once upon a time the senior partner at Goldman Sachs in the Putin era when the chattel got distributed to the oligarchs and a lot of these companies fell into their hands and then they took them public. I mean, that's, you know, Goldman's job is to underwrite IPO equity or and debt equity. I mean, that's their job. Right. People didn't think about it as there, there was no, you know, reputation or political risk. I mean, obviously there's deals to be had in Syria, right? Uh, or there are some deals to be no. had in Syria. Maybe not obviously. But my point is there was no geopolitical headwinds, right? There was optimism that maybe Putin or certainly Medvedev, right, was going to make this a different place and that Russia was not going to be invading Ukraine. Or, or, you know, Gorbachev. Right. You know, Perestroika, Glasnost. It was a sort of different era. And then, you know, a lot of people made money in Russia, you know, with Putin in charge because these shares in these companies were distributed to the oligarchs and they took the companies public. And these are big companies that Wall Street, you know, the leading underwriters in the world wanted a piece of. And, you know, but again, just put this in perspective. I mean, last year, I think the Russian uh, GDP was $1.7 trillion by most estimates. Uh, you know, our GDP was, what, $22 trillion? So, I mean, we're talking about a, an economy that's not even one-tenth the size of our own. So hmm. it's about the 11th or 12th largest economy in the world. So it's a place, you know, you can devote some resources. I mean, 80 people. Goldman Sachs has 80 people. Right, right. Probably smaller than our San Francisco office, for instance, in the Moscow office. Yeah, that's right. The economy of Russia is smaller. The GDP of the economy of Russia is smaller than the GDP of the economy of New York State. A lot of this was based on a like, forward-looking optimism. Like, I mean, Brick was, it's a bet on the future that Russia is going to be important. And maybe a bet, not explicitly, that like Putin would be, you know, or, or that the post-Soviet you know, Soviet leaders would be within the 40-yard line of democratic institutions, which obviously was incorrect. Um, but Well, no, incorrect as of three weeks ago. Obviously, China is a much bigger economy, but China is not exactly a democratic, free society that we would tend to admire for that. And yet, you know, Wall Street desperate to get in there. Or Saudi Arabia. Or Saudi Arabia. I mean, you know, so you can't expect uh, Mm -hmm. Wall Street to have ethics and, and make principled decisions about these things. These are not philanthropic organizations. They are capitalistic, profit-oriented. They want to make as much money as they possibly can. Bill, last thing before we let you go, I'm just, as we sort of future cast here, how permanent do you think this is? 
could you see Goldman Sachs, Coca-Cola, Starbucks, if I were to put you on the spot here and ask you like in 2030, let's say, eight years out, do you think that these places have any operations that are serious and substantive in Russia or is it over? No, this, this, is, a, this is a temporary, this is suspending all of the, if you look carefully at what they're all saying, they're saying they're suspending their operations. They're not abandoning, they're not leaving. They'll all be back. They'll all be back. As soon as, you know, things, quote, calm down, if they, quote, calm down, probably if there's a new leader in Russia. Oh, well, I mean, that would be, that would be significant. Yeah. You could see these places coming back in, like, in a Putin-led Russia. Putin-led? I, I don't know. I don't know. I think Putin kind of is uh, uh, jumped the shark here. And so unless he completely changes his stripes, uh, you know, I don't see it. I mean, you know, don't forget, you know, during the Trump years, Putin was supposedly our best friend, right? I mean, what a great guy, the Donald always said. You know, that was probably like a red cape in front of a bull for many of these corporations. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I, I you know, have watched uh, the West or Silicon Valley investors at least freak out over Saudi money in 2018, freaked out for like two weeks and then back to the Ritz or, or wherever, MBS. Of course. And I, uh, I share your pessimism about the world. Well, I mean, it's not pessimism. It's, it's, it's realism. It's realism. Realism. It's yeah, realism. Right. It's real politique. All right, Bill. Thanks for coming by. Thank you, Teddy. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck Now Daily. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for all their editorial and production help. If you like what you hear, please share us with a friend. It really helps us deliver all the goods we have here at Puck. You can visit us at puck.news and on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Teddy Schleifer. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. 